start a business in an area that you know you have a network and you're passionate about because it doesn't matter what you see as a business opportunity people are going to invest in you as the beginning of a business and the only way they're going to invest in you is if you're authentic and you know what you're doing and you can read about it all you want but it comes really from your heart Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's uh, grown several startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. Now, if, and if you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Kate Eisler, if I say, or Isler or Eisler, I'm going to yeah. say Eisler. Um, and, uh, Kate is, you know, I don't know, not a normal journey, but I don't know what a normal journey even is. So everybody's journey is a bit uh, different. Um, but she, uh, is a, I think a 2008 college graduate, but I think there was a big gap between, or there was a reasonably large gap between high school and going to college. Um, but backing up a bit from there. So she grew up, um, for, uh, 10 years in a hotel. Her dad was an innkeeper at the hotel, grew up in the South. And then, um, from there kicked, um, or kicked up on uh, Seattle or went up to Seattle and did that for a period of time, just there 21, uh, went up and uh, did that for a period of time, worked for an advertising firm, um, told or uh, had a friend told her that she should apply to be um, for a startup at, I think, Microsoft at the time in, in uh, 1989, and then uh, went uh, went and worked for France. It worked in France for a period of time, which we'll get into that a bit more. Worked abroad after 20 years there, came back into the U.S., founded a startup for digital health, um, and then during this time went back to school, got a degree, graduated, and then decided to um, kind of celebrate women in the workplace. And so that is kind of... Uh, letter to where she's at today. So with that much as a high and quick level overview, welcome on the podcast, Kate. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I have to say I'm a 2018 graduate. So I'm a new college graduate. All right. I I think I meant to say 2018 if I did not. So my apologies. But um, so now, so kicking it off or diving a bit back in your history, take us back to a little bit of staying in a hotel as your dad's an innkeeper and how that kind of, or where your uh, journey started from there. So I never really think of myself until very recently as an entrepreneur. Mm. I was kind of a, um, I learned about people from growing up in a really public place. And so how to watch people, how to, you know, understand how to work with them and I kind of made my own way. I never, you know, if the rule wasn't written down that it was a rule, mm. well, you know, I kind of went around and thought, why don't I try that? And so, you know, living in a hotel in that public place taught me a lot about that. And so as I started my journey as a young adult, I just, you know, sort of picked what seemed interesting to me. Mm. And, and as you said, you know, moved around a lot when I was a child, but then picked Seattle on a map and thought, this is a great place to live. So is it just and, one of those kind of like when you see in the movie, oh, I'll throw a dart or oh, I'll put my finger down randomly. And no, that sounds good. Almost. Um, I had met a, a friend. I went to um, a little bit of an alternative high school program and I had met a friend from Seattle and I was 
enamored with her life. It seems so urban and so interesting. And so I thought, well, that sounds like fun. I'll do that. And so I knew one person and so packed up, you know, sort of everything I owned and came to Seattle with, you know, very little and found a job pretty quickly um, and sort of started my life here. So when, so when you pack up, come to Seattle and you're saying, okay, this sounds like a great place. So how did you go about finding a job in a city that you didn't really have any connections or know anybody and it was just kind of a new place? How did you or make that jump into working life? So I had studied photography and I had an um, AA degree that I had finished in Colorado. And mm. so I went to work at a film lab and you know it was as simple as that, just a retail film lab. And then I was, uh, um, I got another big, my first office job as a receptionist for sure. Mm. That was, you know, high, high profile receptionist <laughs> mm. and worked at a, fo- a film lab on the weekends and just sort of started a network and started meeting people and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and advertising looked like fun as the next move. And so mm. I did work for a local ad agency, a small one in Seattle and the woman who I had taken her job had gone to work for some tech company. Hmm. And about two years into it, she called me and said, I've never met you, but I know the job you're doing. And we're looking for people with your skill set at this tech company. So do you want to come interview? And so hmm. as you said, I did. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't, it was you know, a different commute and I didn't know anything about technology, but I figured what the heck. And so I started with Microsoft, Hmm. you know, in 1989, the end of 1989, and there were about 3000 people worldwide. Hmm. And it was kind of all hands on deck and it was a ton of fun. You know, we all were trying to solve problems and really trying to make Bill Gates's vision of a computer in every office and in every home real and it was roll up your hmm. sleeves and jump in <laughs> so. And so i think so you worked with microsoft now for how long did you stay there well i did two tours of duty so i did um about 10 years the first time and about 10 years the second time and i had a break of almost five years in between hmm. so i uh, after I had been there a few years, I got an email about um, a guy who was moving to France for a big promotion. And I was like, if he can do that, I totally can do that. And mm. So I raised my hand and they said, how about the Middle East? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What? what? What are you talking about? And so I talked my husband into quitting his job. We had a, a baby at the time and we moved to Dubai long before it was Vegas. So in 1993, we landed in Dubai. Hmm. So and, now, and so again, now you're, so, but that was still with Microsoft. Is that correct? That you're saying, okay, now I, I have this opportunity. I want to go see a bit of the world or change of scenery type of thing. So I'll continue to work with Microsoft, but I'll do it, uh, you know, for uh, at a foreign location for a while. And I think you stayed foreign for, was it 20 years? Is that about right? Basically, yeah, in dif- different countries, different subsidiaries, and it was very much um, very entrepreneurial compared to the big corporate mm. environment that happens in the U.S. Because we were, I was in subsidiaries from you know twenty people up to two hundred people, and so mm. it was a really different operation. And we were all very concerned with all the things that entrepreneurs are concerned with, which was. How do we make money? How do we make customers happy? Because we were on the front lines. 
Mm. And so it was a, it was really fun. So I did 10 years left and went and worked for a startup for a few and then came back. Um, but again, overseas in the subsidiaries. And so I left there in 2014 mm. for the final time. So now question. So what, you know, so that, a long time you were stationed abroad, worked with Microsoft for quite a long time and doing that. What made you decide, okay, I've had enough or I want to try something else, or I'm coming back to the States and doing that. What was kind of that pivotal point or that decision maker point? So really the catalyst was more personal than business to come mm. back. I had three children by that time and, you know, they were getting to the point one was going to college and one was, you know, going to high school. And so it was just time. It was just mm. time to make a change. And when I got back to the U.S. and got into the big corporate mechanism, I was miserable. Mm. And, you know, I was like, this has been great. And I realized what great training some of it had been mm. and thought, you know, how hard can a startup be? I say that in jest because now, I yeah. Was, Little did you know that uh, startups are not always as easy as they appear. Oh my goodness! And so I gave it a shot and worked for um, ran a digital health startup. A mm. friend of a friend had an idea. He had money set up, but the investor wouldn't give him any money until he had somebody to run the business. So I jumped in, mm. and I think I made every mistake that a first time founder makes. You know, I spent too much money too fast. I um, assumed that because the market opportunity was great, that everyone would love my product. You know, all the things. <laughs> so, so now you so you say, okay, I'm going to do a startup. I'm going to try my hand at it. It's not as hard as it looks, and you know, find out it is. A, it is as hard as it looks, type of a thing. And so, where did you go? So you did the the startup for a period of time, and then you know, for with the digital health, and then you did did that one wind down, and you decided to go to school, or kind of how did you transition, or say, okay, I did that for a period of time. Now I'm going to go back and get a degree. Well, it was kind of in the middle of all of that. I was feeling like, you know, I'm running this startup and I feel like, you know, I have some unfinished personal business. And so mm. I would stop every Friday afternoon about five o'clock and do homework. And so I took, I had to go to class, one of the classes, and then I had two online classes to do. And mm. so I um, would stop work and write papers and you know, read and do all my homework on the weekends and then engage again Sunday night, I'd be back to startup CEO. And so it was, a, and I didn't tell anyone because, you know, I'm sure that investors definitely don't want to hear, great, you're running my business, spending my money and you're going to school. And so that was, you know, I was very cagey about that. But, you know, mm -hmm. when I finished that, that was sort of the last year and I was running out of money and I had raised a few times, but you know, it was really clear that we were not getting the momentum we needed to go forward. And, you know, I was sort of frustrated and a very good friend from Europe had moved here and said, why don't we celebrate International Women's Day in the mm. U.S.? And I thought, oh, my gosh, well, that will make us all feel better. Let's do that. Mm. And so, um, you know, after you know, quite a while I started a nonprofit to say, you know, let's celebrate. And so we host an annual event every year, the Thursday before International Women's Day. So this year it's March 4th and it's a virtual event. And it really is to talk about women's contributions and entrepreneurial contributions are a huge piece of that. Mm. 
And so, you know, we do that. And I will say sort of fast forwarding, ran that nonprofit for a while until COVID hit. Mm. And as a result of COVID, I started looking around and thinking there is no e-commerce site that is focused on women's business. And so I started a new startup in May. So, you, no, go ahead. No, as you do in a pandemic, start a business. That's right. Well, you know, I always look, you know, anytime there's a change in the marketplace, meaning something shakes things up, people have to adjust, they have to pivot. You know, you always kind of have a couple different options. One is you kind of hunker down and try and wait it out and hope that things go back to normal. Or two, a lot of times when you have a, a change in the marketplace, you say it it, it, re, it reveals the chinks in the armor, things that people can improve or otherwise doing that when business is well and things are profitable that nobody ever thinks to do when you hit a, you know that adjustment, then it presents those opportunities. So I always think that anytime there's change in the, op, in the marketplace, it's a great time to figure out how to, how to start a business or how to, you know, navigate navigate or pivot to to incorporate that, that into what you're doing so as you now you know so you get the marketplace and i think it's the the, the wmarketplace.com is that right that's right so you get that up and going and you've been doing that for a few months and i assume you're building it growing it and it's focused kind of on a marketplace for women-owned or women-run uh businesses is that right it is and it's really an interesting uh evolution and in how quickly it's gone some of it is all the lessons that I learned that I did wrong in the first startup. I now know that. And so I, you know, I'm very respectful of, oh my gosh, we're not going to make that decision. But with the W Marketplace, we launched in 2000, or we launched September 29th. And we have, our goal was to have 300 products on the site. Mm. Women owned um, merchants and service providers and nonprofits to list women's resources. And so right now we have over 2000 products on the site and over 300 merchants and service providers. And the interesting thing about this, as you just pointed out, the change in the marketplace is there is no question that the pandemic has had an, a, um, a disproportionate effect on women. Mm-hmm. And I see such an opportunity to create a new normal because as women are leaving the workforce, there is a lot of effort to say, put them back to work, help them with virtual job fairs and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But to me, that isn't, you know, no one is saying those jobs are coming back. And so Mm -hmm. my approach is let's create a new normal. Let's create Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs that are either starting businesses pivoting businesses or scaling them online because that's where our economy is going. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you last night, we welcomed 42 new merchants and service providers in a partnership with the small business development center in Southern California that um, are on the marketplace that actually got orders their first day on the marketplace. And so I think it's the new normal. I mean, let's, you know, let's shift things to where women are that they mm-hmm. can, you know, build their own businesses. Why not? No, I, I definitely think that uh, makes great sense. Now, one or a couple of questions I, I've always kind of wondered just now going to the, you know, the women marketplace and that type of a thing is, you know, I guess the first question I'll back up is, was this one where it was self-funded or did you have investors come on or, you know, how did you kind of get things up and going in order to get the marketplace launched? 
So a little of both. So we started self-funding. I talked to a friend of mine when I had the idea that was being laid off and she said, I'm about to be affected. And so I want a piece of this. Mm. And so we bootstrapped um, until December and we were growing so quickly that we thought our MVP would last us six to nine months. And so mm-hmm. once in, it was really clear that we had leveraged some off the shelf platforms that we were outgrowing the functionality very quickly. Mm. And so we opened around a funding in on December 1st and closed it on December 3rd. So and one question kind of came up on that is, you know, when or listening it, I, I guess, quote unquote, typical investors or, you know, some investors, they would raise the issue of, hey, you're cutting off kind of half the marketplace, right? In the sense that it's now it's a women run is probably, I'm making assumptions, so correct me where I'm wrong, but a women centric marketplace in the sense that, you know, about half of the world is going to be, you know, men or the other, or the other sex type of thing. So how do you, did you, did you run into that? Did you have to face it? Were investors or people that you're reaching out to very positive and supportive, or was it kind of a mixture or kind of, how did you deal with, Hey, we, we're niching down or we're focusing on this part of the marketplace. Was it an advantage? Was it a disadvantage or was it indifferent? No, there's a couple of things. There is, um, one of the lessons that I learned was to pick my investors wisely. Mm. And so, and I think that's a really key because no one invests cold, right? Mm. You have to have a relationship and you have to cultivate that relationship over time. And so we picked our investors very wisely. Mm. Um, and when we approach people, the fact is, is that, you know, half of the population is male, but 60% of the new businesses started are by female. Mm-hmm. of those are women of color and they make on average twice as much revenue faster than men's businesses. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there is some fact in it and there's some finance that you have to back up your story. And so when we looked at that and said, you know, here are the facts that um, we will appeal to our audience, not only from a merchant and service provider, but from a consumer. Women make 85% of consumer purchasing decisions, Mm. but are rarely marketed to. And so, you know, we put all those business facts together. So when we think about women for women, that is 50% of the population, but from an economic force, they could be much stronger. Mm. And so we use data. And I think that that's a really important thing is because you have to have the passion, but you also have to have the numbers to back that up. No, and I think that's that's a great point. And I think that, you know, any business you're in, whether it's a, you know, women's marketplace or women owned, you know, women owned businesses or you're in tech or you're in medical devices or whatever that might be is, you know, there's a difference between just getting money from an investor, trying to just get money wherever it comes versus actually doing your homework, finding investors that one fit your mission and what you're doing, but also two, that's kind of fits their investment strategy because not all investors are created equal. They're all having different strategies. They're all having different focuses or things that their fund goes towards and also that they can add that value back to you guys. So it's not just money, but it's for the business that they can have those connections or support or contact. They'll help to grow the business. So I think that that mirrors a lot of, of what uh, you found as well. That's so right. Um, the other thing is, is I think that you forget as a founder, because, you know, we are very money and investment driven on some levels for sure, because we need to pay the bills and we need to pay the people. And, you know, that there's some anxiety around that to look for money, but also don't forget that you are going into business with these people. 
they're going to be around. And so your investors have to be people that not only are advantageous to your business, but that you want to be involved in your business for the long haul. Because if you're going to have a successful business, they're going to be there. And, you know, their opinion counts, Mm. their input counts. And I think that that's one of the lessons that I learned right off the bat, that there were people in my first startup that I might not have ever done business with. You know, all things being even. Mm. (laughs) I think that's a really interesting piece. No, and I, I definitely agree. So now, so now you've we've kind of brought up to you've got the business launch, you know, building it. You brought on two thousand plus, you know, different products or in, in different uh, vendors and whatnot. So kind of looking now, six to twelve months in the future, kind of where do you see things headed next? Where are things, you know, how how do you see that playing out, and what's kind of the plan? I think that, you know, we are experimenting with some really exciting things. We did, as I said, we we brought on a bunch of new merchants and service providers last night, and we did a live broadcast. And so we're almost doing um, W Market TV, allowing women to present their products through our platform in, on a video so that you can get to know them. And I think that that's a really unique move in the market. You know, we all think, okay, well, Amazon's the big gorilla around, but that's one shopping venue. I think that there is lots of room for others. And I think that we are in a place where 2.1 million women are out of the workforce and looking for either to support one another or to get into business. Mm. And so I see us continuing to grow very quickly because there's a need for it. We've had, you know, to, to grow as quickly as we have in such a short period says there's pent up demand. Mm. And so oh, I, I think- yeah, I mean, I see us growing and I'm really excited about it. And I do want to point out that we are women owned, but we're also gender balanced. And so if there is a business that is not necessarily a big business, but even a bigger business that as good gender hygiene, meaning good policies, diversity in their leadership team, their employee scores are good. We will not turn them away. No, I think that that's, that's a great, great trajectory and a lot of opportunity. I mean, I think that too often people a bit get scared off by the Amazon and saying, oh, they dominate. There's, you know, there's, that's a marketplace to be, and there's no other opportunity. And yet I think that now you're closing the door on a lot of opportunity that you can grow the business. You can explore things that Amazon isn't doing and that they, they, they're not interested or doesn't fit within their business model means that it, it, it provides a lot of opportunity. So I think it's great that that's the trajectory and that's where you guys are headed. Well, as we've kind of now wrapped through your uh, journey, it always is a good transition to talk a little bit about the two last questions I always have at the end of each podcast. So the first question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Oh my gosh, I thought of these and I have a few. <laughs> One is the the confession of, I, lo- I announced a version of Windows, Windows 3.0 that was one of the biggest versions six mm. weeks before it was ever supposed to be announced and I did it in a big way in the press so that was kind of but more recently um I got wrong I got investors that were not helpful to my business and that big mistake as we've just talked about Uh, you know partners in there that didn't agree with my business decisions and it was difficult Mm. No, and I, and I like the point, and it's probably reiterating. First of all, the the first one of making him announce. You know, it's always it's funny 
in the sense that it, you know, first of all, it's kind of funny to look back and say that was a big mistake, but also it's easy to do, you know, I've done, we, you do a newsletter or you do, you know, a, a marketing campaign and it's easy to, when you're doing things to get the date wrong or just put it in that one little spot and it's, and then you can't take it back. And so it's, it's always one to know, but I think the bigger one that I, I like to talk about is, you know, the investors and kind of almost hitting the point we had is that, you know, don't just look for investors for money because you, when you take on investor dollars, you're really taking on additional partner in the relationship of the business. They now have ownership. They have partial control, depending on how much you give up. And they are certainly going to have input to your business, which can be absolutely beneficial and worthwhile, or it can be the worst mistake ever because they are now pushing you in a direction that you don't want to go or it's not good for the business. And now you've given up some of that control. Or sometimes if you sell off the majority of your company over a period of time to enough investors, you've given up complete control and now they're going in a direction that it's no longer even fun or what you envisioned or it's not the right decision so i definitely think being judicious about bringing on investors and not just thinking about it as a sole source of revenue but also a way to either help or hinder the business is a, a great lesson to learn so now as we jump to the second question which is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them start a business in an area that you know, you have a network and you're passionate about. Because it doesn't matter what you see as a business opportunity, people are going to invest in you as the beginning of a business. And the only way they're gonna invest in you is if you're authentic and you know what you're doing. And you can read about it all you want, but it comes really from your heart. And the successful business is right from your heart. No, I, and I definitely agree. And I think that more and more the marketplace is shifting towards authenticity, meaning they don't just want a, just a product, but they actually want to know that you, you know, there's a cause behind it. There's a story behind it. There's a reason why I should support this business. And it's having certainly an impact on the marketplace. And I think in a lot of ways, a positive one um, that is going to continue to shift in that direction. So finding that authentic thing that you love, that you're passionate about and that you can make money at is a great way to fit into that, you know, that evolution. So well, at, you know, just as a reminder to everybody, we do have the bonus question after the normal episode. So stay tuned if you want to hear the, the a little bit about intellectual property as we turn the tables and uh, Kate gets asked me a question. But as we wrap up for the normal episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to find out more, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be a vendor, they want to be an investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out and find out more? So there's a couple of ways, certainly on the wmarketplace.com, all one word. Mm-hmm. And um, another great way is I've just releasing a book, actually March 2nd, my memoir releases and it's called Breaking Borders. Mm-hmm. And they can definitely be my best friend because I tell really truthful stories about the good, the bad and the ugly of career and family you know, traveling all around the world with them and trying to manage a career with three children and a husband. And so that is absolutely how they can get a hold of me. Or I'm on all the social channels at Kate Eisler and kateisler.com. So any of that, they're more than welcome to. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to check out the book uh, or pick it up. And it sounds like it's a great read and I look forward to launching and I'll, I'll pick it up as well. And then also reach out to you for support the the, the W marketplace as well as uh, um, all that you have going on and reach out and find out more. So 
Well, as we wrap up, you know, if you're now, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on the podcast, Kate. It's been a pleasure. Now, if you're a listener and uh, you have your own journey to tell, we'd love to have you on the podcast and hear or, and share your journey. Just go to uh, inventiveguest.com to apply to be a guest on the podcast. Two, if you're a listener, one, make sure to click subscribe so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out in your podcast player and leave us a review so the new people can find out about the podcast as well. Last but not least, if you ever have any, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else with your business, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law by going to strategymeeting.com. So now as we transition over and we get the bonus question, we, it's a little bit of always flipping the tables. If I always get asked the questions on the normal episode, but now it's uh, you get asked a question to me, which is um, for intellectual property, what is your number one or top question? So I have filed patents before on technology and with API technology and you know pretty cut and dried things. Mm. But with the W Marketplace, there is a lot of intellectual property that is going into how we're building a community, mm-hmm. how we are shaping. And I don't know how to protect that property. And if it is protectable, because I'm very clear that we are not a technology first company. We are a community company that is supported by technology. Yeah. So a couple or a few things come to mind and, you know, it's always a question of, Hey, we've got a great idea. Now is it protectable or how is it protectable? And sometimes the answer is it's just, you have to outcompete everybody in the marketplace and you have to just stay ahead of the competition, which is definitely a way to do it. Now, a couple ways that you could is one is always on the, on the branding side, right? So a lot of times when you're building a community is much of the reason that people come to that community as opposed to somewhere else is because of the brand, because they know what you guys stand for, what you do. So, you know, whenever you're building a brand where that's where people associate it with trademarks is always a great place and so you know getting the name of the marketplace you know the w marketplace or a logo or a catchphrase something of that nature and if you're thinking of some of great brands nike apple uh, m&ms coca-cola a lot of their value and the reason that people keep coming back you can buy you can buy a different cola or knockoff cola drink but the reason people always go buy a coke or a pepsi or whatever is because they like that brand and they like the taste so that's always one to think about is is on the the trademark side is to protect the brand. Now, if you're to get on the patent side, you know, patents are generally, you have to have it tied to a some a, a technology that makes something better, right? So in the sense that, hey, if all if what you've done and nothing wrong is you built a marketplace where a lot of people can come together, they can have a specific cause and they can do that, but you're not really improving on the or technology, you're going to have a difficult time getting a patent on it because there isn't anything that's improved on the technology side other than you just simply melt, built a great marketplace that uh, is, is a place for them to come. Now, the alternative is, is let's say, and, you know, without getting into the details, you were having different ways that you could present women's products. And so, you know, or women marketplace such that you're doing what, and I'm making it up a bit, but data analytics such that, you know, this is how we're doing it, or we're presenting it in a new and different way such that we're bringing a lot of different products together and the way that you stitch that together, the way that you make all the products work so that they can have it, you know, get the right sales product and people can identify what type of products they want. If you're improving the technology in order to make the platform, then there's that opportunity to go on the patent side. 
The last one is a way that you can kind of look about protecting it is kind of more on the copyright side, which is, hey, if we really have some images that really we love that portray our business, that, you know, give it a, you know, a special, unique look and feel to it, then you're going to want to say, we don't want somebody else to come along and copy that look and feel to it. We don't want them to have a similar looking marketplace because ours is unique. Then you're going to look, want to look at more on the copyright of the images and the you know, videos or the portrayal or the, you know, the way that things are written or those type of things that really make your or set your marketplace apart. So those are kind of, if I were to look at kind of the marketplace, the different ways that you can start to incorporate intellectual property to kind of build a, that fence or that protection around it. Does that make sense or any follow-up questions? It does. It's really helpful because I think that we have pieces of all three of those things Mm. and it's a matter of you know, where we're going to invest to protect, because I know that that is an expensive road. All yeah, of it. No, and I think that that's always, I can give you a lot of different ways that you want to protect, but usually you're going to say, what is it set if, you know, what is it that sets our, our product apart? And then, you know, and then the kind of the way you always say is, if somebody else were to come along and do X, whether it's copy our brand, copy our technology, copy our, you know, our, our information, our, our pictures and our videos, which one of them would hurt, hurt the worst? Which one would you say, ouch, that, you know, that affects our business? And that's where you start. So if you're saying, hey, yes, we have some technology over here, but we really have a strong brand that we're going to be putting a lot of effort and time and money behind. Let's make sure to protect the brand first. If on the other hand, we got some great technology that's really going to set us apart, set us up to be, you know, ahead of the competition for you years to come and yes we have a brand but you know the brand is one where if the technology is the one that somebody comes along and copies or rips off type of a thing that's where we're going to hurt that's where you start to focus so that's kind of where a lot of times you want to focus is more on the on wherever the the biggest value of the brand is or the biggest brand or biggest value of the company is going to be yep and that's helpful i appreciate that all right. Well, with that, there's a bonus question, a little bit of insight a bit of intellectual property into my world. With that, we'll wrap up the podcast episode. Thank you again, Kate, for coming on. It's been fun to have you on here about what you're doing and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so much. It was great to talk. <laughs>